Good morning, everyone. This is the D-O-L-W Podcast 3. My name is Therese, and today we're continuing reading with Randy Ingalls and the Rite of Sodomy. We've been reading this for quite some time. Um, part of it is, is we're learners, uh, learning how to podcast. We are um, mothers. We are grandmothers. We are uh, workers in the society, uh, in our communities. And, you know, we all have jobs, and it is difficult to squeeze these things in, not to mention the struggles. And that's our, just briefly today, I want to talk about some of the struggles of um, being faithful. Our Lord tells us that, um, and the church teaches us that, we don't have to necessarily be successful in what we do, but we do need to be faithful. And um, I was watching a, a, a YouTube video today from um, on uh, EWTN, uh, an old classic from Mother Angelica back in, uh, it was uh, broadcast on in 1994, but so relevant. It's like, you know, sometimes the Lord just gives us what we need. I'm struggling myself with um, doing these things. It is a difficult thing for me to do to come and podcast about something that is so painful to me, so painful for me, and I'm sure so painful for so many of, other, of you others out there in our faith community. It's a struggle. Uh, what's hard for me is like I worry that um, I'm going to push other Catholics that are teetering maybe um, with their faith, with these scandals, you know, not sure um, what this all means and, um, you know, losing faith. And um, I think Mother Angelica, she just does a great podcast or a great YouTube video on that today. And it just really struck me how maybe you need to hear this too. So with that, um, uh, today we are going to talk about this. Our question is, what is our response to tyranny? as Catholics in the Catholic Church and the scandals. What is our response? That is, um, do, we, do we listen to what we're told to do? We are told to pl- pray, pay, and obey, and, um, and, hope, and hope that those in charge are, are doing what they are supposed to be doing. And, um, and as we can see, scandal after scandal, these things continue to this day. Um, the lackadaisical parts that we see and um, the continuing of passing um, uh, scandalous priests around um, to, from one diocese to the next um, just doesn't seem to be a real truth and a real commitment um, going on. And also with thinking of um, what James said um, in the Bible to us, James on 2.24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And Mother Angelica in that um, Losing Faith YouTube video today, she says, uh, you know, the problem with us today with Catholics, there's basically two kinds of Catholics um, I, that, we, that we most fall into. Not all Catholics fall into either one of these. And, uh, but this, I, it really struck me. Struck me. Uh, first of all, the liberal Catholics, 
And what, what do we mean when we say liberal Catholics? Liberal Catholics, uh, for many, are they pick and they choose. They're a cafeteria Catholic. Pope Francis speaks about that. You know, we pick... Uh, you know, the, the, just like going in and picking out a donut, you know, the, the ones we like and the other ones we just, um, we just ignore. And that's kind of what that liberal Catholic means. Um, then there's the living room Catholic. And Mother Angelica said today, and I know for years I fell into this too, um, and sometimes I want to run back to it, is the living room Catholic. Well, just what do we mean by a living room Catholic? I'm sure you can kind of think about it and figure it out, but a living room Catholic is just that. We believe in the faith. We believe in the church teachings. But when everything has fallen apart around us, we don't do anything about it. Um, sometimes I think, you know, I've talked about pew, pew dwellers, you know, um, remain silent. They pray, pay, and obey, but they do nothing about all the things that are going on around us, even if they know. Even if they've seen it, they choose to be quiet, quiet, and just pray. So, um, and I and I think that's what James is speaking to that that you know we are to we are to pray. We are also to do works, and that's the whole thing of faith, hope, and charity, and our um, how our faith grows. And you know, we just look at our Lord. We look at our Lord at what He suffered. Um, even when he was at the um, Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to our Lord and he asked, you know, the Lord, please, you know, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he knew that he would do it. He would do what the Lord asked, but he still wanted the cup to be taken from him. And we have every right in prayer to ask for those things when we are suffering. Um, but it also, suffering does bring for us a, if we unite our suffering correctly, if we unite it to Jesus and to our Father through the Holy Spirit, and we embrace the suffering that we're going through, um, if we embrace it and see it as part of God's larger picture and that we offer it maybe our suffering for, you know, poor, poor souls in purgatory, poor souls who have no one to pray for them. We offer it for the poor. We, we connect it with Jesus and offer it. When he said, um, I asked you for a drink of water and you gave me none. So um, with that, uh, what else did I want to mention here before we got going with reading Randy Angles? Um, I think that's really it on the things that I wanted to bring out. Okay, one more thing that Mother Angelica said was, when I ask the Lord for something that is for my good, when I'm praying, and I asked him for something that is my good, Maybe I need wisdom in doing something, or maybe I need strength or courage um, in doing something. When it is for my good and I'm doing something for the Lord, we can be sure, I can be sure through my faith that he will give me what I need. And so um, that, I thought that was a real important point. So back to our question today before we begin reading Randy Angles. How does one determine one's own response to tyranny? 
And when we when we read this today, um, think of that. What is your response to this um, ongoing scandal in the church of the homosexual network? You know, understand that homosexual meaning network, meaning it's got optics all throughout the church that um, that are alive and well and have been. Um, they're supported by different things through the church. I want to make it really clear. The church's teachings, the church's doctrine, the word of the Lord, all of those things you can trust in. If you know your church's doctrine, if you know what the church teaches, you can trust that the church is holy and good. The church is the body of Christ. So it's not the church but it is some of the members within the church doing evil. Wherever there is good, there is evil. So we always have to remember that, and we always have to be on the lookout for it. And my friends, it is not the time to bury your head. Okay, so today when I was considering, uh, you know, reading, and what chapter I'm reading, I'm going on, continuing in the book, but um, I happened to look at the back of the book. Now, this is this is me, Therese, who... Um, doesn't always oh, look at little important things. And I think this one is very important. It's on the back cover of the book. It's Randy Ingalls writing about um, the homosexual network within the church. So let me read this to you. This is on the back cover of volume four. The homosexual network within the American hierarchy and Catholic religious orders secured its beachhead at the turn of the 20th century. Today, it is a dominant factor in the life of AM Church, the marker and breaker of clerical careers and ecclesiastical advancement and the controller of ecclesiastical finances at home and at the Vatican. Networks do not come about by spontaneous combustion. They are not woven out of thin air They are living entities that once created must be directed and managed in order to survive or else they die. The vast homosexual network within the AM Church and at the Vatican is no exception to the rule. The ongoing clerical pederast scandal in the Catholic Church today is closely tied to the homosexual network in which pedestry has its being. More than a dozen cases, case studies are presented in this volume, detailing the histories of predatory homosexual cardinals and bishops, shepherds turned wolves, with a special chapter devoted to Joseph Cardinal Bernadine and his homosexual entourage. In the final chapter, New Ways Ministry, a study in subversion, all of the operations and intrigues of the homosexual network come together to demonstrate how the network sustains and promotes homosexuality and lesbianism in the Catholic diocese and undermines the Catholic diocesan priesthood and religious life and the doctrines and moral teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. It provides an irrefutable record of the total intepitude of the Holy See in dealing with I'm sorry, it's not in tepitude. Let's get back to that. It provides an irrefutable record of the total ineptitude 
of the Holy See in dealing with the homosexual network in the Roman Catholic Church today. I thought that was a good synopsis of just how deep all of this is and um, and why it's important to look and see what is going on in our church. There's another um, podcaster out there. There's probably several. I don't know of them all, but the Angry Catholic um, have formed a really good podcast, and they do a great job um, with bringing in different people to discuss this and how it is ongoing and how it is has a lobby, the homosexual lobby within the church. You have a network, you have a lobby. Okay, so we're going to go to page 1003, chapter 17, New Ways Ministry, a Study in Subversion. Introduction. New Ways Ministry was founded by Sister Janine Gramick, formerly with the School Sisters of Notre Dame and now with the Sisters of Laredo, and Father Robert Nugent of the Society of the Divine Savior, second perhaps only to the Washington, D.C.-based National Homosexual Group. Dignity New Ways has been the most influential of all the homosexual collectives, auxiliaries within the Catholic Church. It has served as a critical link between the lesbian feminist covens covens of female religious orders and the gay priesthood and the secular homosexual collective. This in-depth study of the new ways is the first since Father Ruda exposed its machinations in the homosexual network in 1982. It is as much an indictment against what passes for religious orders these days as it is against new ways. Both Gramic and Nugent have led a freewheeling existence thanks to the superiors of their respective religious orders, the school sisters of Notre Dame and the Salvatorians. Both orders have bankrolled new ways, operations, and aided and abetted its attack on the church for decades. The story of Sister Gramic and Father Nugent and New Ways illuminates the complex interplay between homosexual activists in religious orders and the diocesan priesthood, their superiors and bishops in the United States, and church authorities in Rome. The History of New Ways documents how AM Church's interlock of homosexual and gay-friendly bishops and its vast bureaucracy at the NCCB slash USCC, and then in parens it has USCCB, has helped to advance the homosexual collective's ideology and programs and put its resources at the service of the collective. Access to the sources of power within a given institution is an essential tool in the subversion process, and New Ways has never lacked for access to the corridors of power within the AM Church. One of the guiding rules of investigative research is follow the money trail, but this proved virtually impossible since religious orders are not required to file tax returns. The IRS returns of New Ways and its close affiliates, the Quixote Center, were available. However, and they 
however, and they show how the homosexual collective within the church uses a multiplicity of front organizations to attack and undermine the Catholic Church's option, I'm sorry, the Catholic Church's opposition to homosexuality. The most important thing to remember about New Ways is that despite its religious trappings, it is essentially a political, not a religious organization. It is not a ministry in the accepted meaning of the word. Hence, it is referred to as New Ways. Throughout this book, except for direct quotes, its primary objectives are political in nature and designed to strengthen the role of the homosexual collective within the Catholic Church. It is only incidentally religious. That is, it uses religion solely for political ends. That is why all New Ways activities must be viewed principally through a political prism, not a religious one. In the words of its founders, New Ways exists to explore and develop those, I- those areas that for many remain formidable, formidable obstacles to an acceptance of homosexual identity and expression as potentially morally good and healthy as heterosexuality in the Judeo-Christian scheme. The Transformation of Sister Gramic Janine Gramic was born in 1942 and grew up in a traditional Catholic family in the Philadelphia area. As an only child, Gramic recalls that she was very pious and attended daily Mass. After her high school graduation, she relinquished a passionate relationship with a young college man and at the age of 18 joined the religious order of the School Sisters of Notre Dame, in parens it is SSND, a branch of the International French Congregation of Notre Dame. When Gramic entered the covenant in 1960, the SSND was by and large still a traditional order. Although the continuous promptings of Pope Pius ever so gently, I'm sorry, Pope Pius XII to modernize religious life had begun to stir the waters of revolution ever so gently. By the mid-1960s, however, the order was gone with the wind. The SSND nuns underwent a period of radical renewal comparable to all to the ill-fated sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in Los Angeles. The prominent role of the SSND in the building of women's church has been well documented by Donna Steichen in Ungodly Rage, The Hidden Face of Catholic Feminism. Steichen catalogs the involvement of SSND nuns in a variety of ecumenical feminist workshops that feature such topics as mother destroyer archetype Hindu goddess Kali, Wiccan, in parens means witchcraft, Lebanism, creation, spirituality, inclusive liturgical language, reproductive rights, and the sin of sexism. But not to worry, lay Catholics who keep the order financially solvent can be consoled by the fact that the school sisters of Notre Dame raise their own organic food on Earthrise Farm 
as part of their Center for Earth Spirituality at the Mankato Mother House in Minnesota. Between 1960 and 1985, the number of vowed women religious in the SSND fell worldwide from 11,000 to 8,000. By 2003, the number had plummeted to 4,400. Unfortunately, Sister Gramic was not among the dropouts. In 1968, Sister Gramic received word that her mother was seriously ill and she returned home to Philadelphia with the approval of her religious superior. While on leave, she decided to take advantage of the SSND's continuing teaching education program and enrolled at the University of Pennsylvania as a full-time graduate student to begin her doctorate in mathematics education. According to Gramic, in 1971, during a a home liturgy attended mainly by university students, she reported that her encounter with Dominic Bash, a homosexual male friend who inspired her calling to minister to her gay sisters and brothers. By this time, Gramic, now in her late 20s, was already well indoctrinated into the theology of radicalism, feminism, and and lesbianism. After Gramic returned to Baltimore in 1972 to teach at the College of Notre Dame in Maryland, she helped found Dignity, Washington, D.C. One year later, with the help of Father Joseph Hughes, a Baltimore diocesan priest, Gramic helped found Dignity, Baltimore. The first Mass for the Catholic group was celebrated in the chapel of St. Jerome Convent, where Janine lived with her with four other SSND sisters, all of whom supported the political objectives of the homosexual collective, Dignity, Baltimore, continued to meet at the convent until it secured a Catholic parish to hold its services. I'm going to take a little drink here. Thank you, and here we go. Gramic is proud of the fact that she conducted a worship a workshop for lesbians that later inspired the founding of the Conference of Catholic Excuse me. Yeah, the the conference oh, I got lost. Hmm. I'm going to start right here, guys. Gramic is proud of the fact that she conducted a workshop for lesbians that later inspired the founding of the Conference for Catholic Lesbians. Gramic's actions in helping to establish Dignity slash Philadelphia, Dignity Washington, D.C., and Dignity Baltimore, and a lesbian, lesbian associations indicates the degree to which Gramic was politically radicalized before she founded New Ways. In her essay, Lesbians and the Church Bridging the Gap, that appeared in the Christian Feminist magazine, Daughters of Sarah, in 1988, Gramic recalls her early contacts with the homosexual community in the Philadelphia area and her work with a sensible and attractive lesbian ex-nun with whom she developed a support group for lesbian and gay Catholics. Gramic states, from lesbian women, 
I also learned that homophobia can be rooted in personal fears and anxieties about one's own sexuality. In the early years of my ministry, she says, I remember feeling uncomfortable with a human or with a woman because I became conscious of my own same-sex attractions. Unless we make friends with our homosexual passions, we will be imprisoned by them, she concludes. She says society's heterosexual bias and the church's ecclesiastical sexism and its treatment of homosexuals like Dominic as outcasts distressed her. Gramic's leadership positions in the National Coalition of American Nuns, parens, N-C-A-N, the first Catholic organization to affirm the rights of gay and lesbian people, and in the Women's Ordination Conference, that's parens, W-O-C, demonstrates her dual commitment to the homosexual collective and the lesbian feminist movement. Sister Janine tells her story. We are now on page 1006. My first gay man that I ever met, I met Dominic at a home mass. That was in the days of the 70s, and he told me his whole life story. And he left the Catholic Church, he said, because the Catholic Church had nothing to offer him as a gay man. Certainly, I felt he was greatly discriminated against but I also felt that somehow he wasn't normal. That was the attitude that I had because that was the society, that is what society said to me, and that maybe he could change. But after speaking with him and listening to the story, and he told me he had tried and wanted to be heterosexual and couldn't, I realized that that stereotype was just that, a stereotype. Lesbian and gay people can't change their orientation. We struck up a good friendship, and that transformed my entire life. This was written by Sister Janine Gramick, June 24, 2001, on the CBC radio interview, To Live With Courage. The impression one would get from reading Gramick's story of her first meeting with Dominic Bash in the 2001 Canadian radio interview is that here was some poor lost soul, a homosexual struggling to find his way home, but finding himself constantly rebuffed by the Catholic Church. Gramick never mentions what happened to this young man that she befriended and encouraged to live out his homosexual identity. Permit me to do so. Dominic Bash was a a native of the greater Philadelphia area. He was four years younger than Gramic. After he graduated from North Catholic High School in 1965, he enrolled as a novice with the fathers of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales. Wilmington, Philadelphia province, but was eventually dismissed from the seminary. He tried to get into another seminary, possibly Episcopalian, but was also rejected as a candidate for the ministry, presumably because of his homosexuality. Dominic took up hairdressing. By the 1970s, about the time that Gramic began holding Eucharistic gatherings for Bash and his homosexual friends in the Philadelphia area, Bash was heavily into homosexual politics. He, together with Gramic, helped to organize Dignity Philadelphia and Bash 
is recognized today as one of the chapter's founding members and a trailblazer activist for gay rights. In 1991, when the Archdiocese of Philadelphia cracked down on dignity and prohibited the pro-homosexual group from meeting on church property, Dominic Bash and Dignity Philadelphia found a new home at St. Luke and the Epiphany Episcopalian Church in Center City, Philadelphia. That same year, Bash made headlines as the city of brotherly love's most famous diva. He was the master of ceremonies at the third annual coming out block party on Pine Street. He came in drag, flaunting a tight black shirt, fishnet stockings, and a tiara. Bash also helped organize a demonstration of the Cathedral Basilica of St. Peter and Paul, Saints Peter and Paul, where Cardinal Anthony Beville Aqua was holding his first mass for people with AIDS. Havoc broke loose when one demonstrator, not Bash, dumped condoms on the altar. I just want you to know, folks, I'm really trying to keep my tongue quiet through all of this. Um, So we'll keep on. In response to the AIDS epidemic, Bash, who later contracted the disease, organized an AIDS ministry within Dignity Philadelphia. Sadly, from his seminary days, but up until his death, Bash insisted that the Catholic Church had never loved him. But Sister Gramic should have known better. She had the opportunity of sharing the gospel message of repentance and conversion of heart with the young man she called her friend. Instead, she confirmed Dominic in his sin. Dominic Bash died of AIDS in January 1993 at the age of 47 without the last sacraments of the Catholic Church. His ashes are buried in a vault at the Episcopal Church of St. Luke and the Epiphany. Okay, we're going to stop here. The next is going to be the story about Father Nugent and his story. Um, I want to end here because it's a long story and I don't want to, um, you know, um, stop too short. I want to be able to finish that story. So we'll be back doing this. Um, You know, just again, remember, um, you know, telling the truth these days has gotten to be um, so obscure you know, with all of the, with all of the proposals of the LBGTQ, can't remember what the other ones are. There's a few more, and I think they leave it with a plus on the end, um, all pointing to you know sexual activity more than um, than male or female, and which God in His image and likeness He made us, and you know there are only two. Uh, there's a male and there's a female. And all of the others, you know, in my simple mind, point to having sex, being adulterous. And when I say being adulterous, when we think of the commandment um, to not commit adultery, adultery is about our body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we have an imprint of our Father in us. These people here are going um, and speaking as, as, as they think they are, good Catholics. 
and you know you know when you t- when we talked early at the chat at the beginning of this um podcast you know i brought up the cafeteria catholics picking and choosing what we want you know when we suffer when a when a person is blind born blind and they you know and they have to live with that their whole life they don't just get eyes miraculously but they have to live with that and they have to learn how to proceed in life and they have to learn everything they can do so that they can be productive people and live a meaningful life and in my simple mind i look at this you know uh, homosexuality not as um you know, something that is a title is an entitlement to run about and, and have sex wherever you want it, not be married. Um, you know, all of those things that comes along with, um, what do we call it? You know, making this temple of God, our bodies, um, a thing rather than something holy. We are holy. We are called to be holy. Our bodies are holy and what we do to them. And then, you know, um, AIDS came about, you know, and it really came on strong, um, AIDS. Um, so why so? You know, this this is not right. And, you know, as Catholics, if we go along and we teach people that, you know, oh, you're homosexual, you know, just I feel so sorry for you, go out and have sex. We're not being truthful to them. Where are their souls going to end up? How are they going to know that um, having, um, be, you know, anal sex, being sodomized, doing all of those things, how do we know um, what's going to happen to their souls if we don't try to at least explain what is, um, what is the commandment? Um, to not commit adultery. What did God mean? Do you understand? You know, we are going to be subject to those around us when we don't point them in the right direction. Okay, with that, as Catholics, we are, we have to tell the truth, you know, and always, always, always follow that truth. As often as there is a lie, as as often as they say the lie, We have to say the truth. And with that, I've got a prayer for the practicing or the non-practicing Catholics for their return. O good shepherd, you never cease to seek out the lost, to call home the stray, to comfort the frightened, and to bind up the wounded. I ask you to bring all our fallen away brothers and sisters back to the practice of the faith and to remove all obstacles that prevent them from receiving your abundant mercy, which flows sacramentally through the heart of your holy church. Through the intercession of Mary, the mother of God, their guardian angels, their patron saints, and the ever prayerful Saint Monica, may you pardon their sins and unshackle them from whatever hinders their freedom to come home. For you, O good shepherd, have loved us to the end and offered yourself to the Father, for the salvation of all. Amen. One last thought. Uh, You know, we as Catholics, we in Carmel try to evoke love. Always, always, always try to evoke love. We love the sinner, but not the sin. 
And love is telling them the truth. All right, my friends. God bless you all. And until we meet again, God bless.